Welcome to Bow Talks, a podcast by Banking on Women, which is a student society at the University of Melbourne. We are dedicated to empowering, educating and encouraging our members in the financial and professional services industries. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we are filming this podcast on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you may be listening upon. Hey everyone uh, and welcome to another episode of Botox. I'm Bridget, the co-president here at Bow. And I'm Mandy, an events officer here at Bow. Um, and today we have the pleasure of chatting with Michelle Hu, the founder of Etoile Collective. We are so excited to have you on, Michelle, um, a fellow University of Melbourne graduate. Uh, and she'll be talking all about starting a business, the journey from investment banking to business owner, and what the future holds for Etoile Collective. So let's just jump in with the first question for today's podcast. Michelle, did you want to tell us who you are um, and tell us about what your passions are? My name is Michelle and I'm the founder of a brand called Etoile Collective. My passions are all about mental health, self-development and wellness. I also really enjoy learning new skills. So I'm currently trying to teach myself all about cameras and using studio lighting, which is proving to be really useful for Etoile and content creation. We'd like to hear about what your career journey has been like so far. Um, and how you transition from being a uni graduate to working in a corporate environment to um, being the founder of a business now. Yep. So I studied a three-year BCom at the University of Melbourne and majored in economics and finance. And then after that, took the I was kind of following the herd really and um, landed a graduate role at City in um, their investment banking division and. I had actually started a twirl in the summer before I started as a graduate at City, and it was just something that came upon accidentally. So it was launched when I started City, and it really just grew organically. Um, and I think very quickly at City, I realized that it wasn't a place that I wanted to be long term. I just wasn't super passionate about the role. I looked at my bosses, and I just didn't think that number one, I would really excel in their role. And number two, I was really missing the opportunity to exercise that creative part of my brain. Um, and so in the two years, I think the stars aligned. A twelve just organically grew to a place that proved to me that it could support me full time and also grow to something much bigger. So it's been almost three years now since I left City and it's been, yeah, such an amazing journey and really, really fulfilling as well. And so was it, I guess, a tough decision to quit your full-time investment banking job at City to pursue a 12 full-time? Um, did you have to think a lot about that or was it something that made sense at the time and you were ready to jump into? If I take a short-term view, it probably was quite difficult because you're leaving a su super secure role and a really high-paying one. All those things are quite difficult to give up in the moment and... But, but I think I've got a really high risk tolerance. And even though colleagues were saying, you know, you should put together like a business plan and like forecast it out and really think through this. I think I was just driven by my gut in instinct. And, you know, first and foremost, I didn't really want to be there for, you know, another six months to a year. And most importantly, I really, really enjoy doing a twirl, um, you know, after hours, late at night on the weekend. And I was super ready to take it on full time. 
And I think I also identified a number of growth levers for a 12. So I was super confident that, you know, if I had all the hours available in the day to work on a 12, that it would be able to grow to what I think it it could. So yeah, I think um, long-term view and in hindsight, not a tough decision at all, but in the moment probably was um, quite a significant decision to make. Yeah, that's fantastic. It, yeah, it seems like you really stuck to your guns, kind of had that belief that, you know, it would like turn into something amazing um, and it worked out. So that's like absolutely fantastic. Was um, starting a business of your own always something that you had planned or wanted to do in the future or was it something that came about when you were more so into your career a little bit? Definitely something that I was always interested about. I think when I looked to my childhood, there were definitely um, flags in place that made me realise. I think at the time I didn't know that it was, you know, starting a business or like entrepreneurship, but in hindsight now I look back and I'm like, yep, I am definitely where... I am meant to be. Um, so when I was little, I would do things like take my parents' old Levi jeans and turn them into like distressed shorts and sell them at eBay and market them as like, you know, cute little frayed shorts that were really trending back then. Um, and I remember also being really passionate um, about this program called Imvu, which is really similar to Sims. So you have an avatar, you're in like a online world, uh, you know, you buy clothes for them, you buy a house for them, all that kind of stuff. And you can create a, you can be a developer where you, you know, create templates for clothing or houses on Photoshop and then you sell them, they become Invu credits and then that turns into um, real currencies as well. And I really, really loved the process of doing that. And I think that's what's got me really interested in consumer goods, um, marketing, like customer acquisition and that whole realm of, of marketing. Um, and yeah, I didn't know that it would manifest in a 12, but um, in building a 12, that was actually an accident. I think I just needed the products for myself. And at the time, I didn't think a 12 could be something that I think it could be now or definitely not what it has it turned into. Um, so it was pretty much by accident. The products um, my dad helped me source so I could use for myself. And then Given I was always looking for a business to start, to start, I just thought, you know, maybe maybe other people also need the products as well. Yeah, I think um, you kind of touched on the question I was going to ask you next, which was when the idea for your business began. So I remember you mentioned you started it um, over the summer after you graduated uni. Was that, did you mm. have it in your mind for quite a bit of time before that or did you kind of just have a light bulb light bulb moment and decide to jump on to it no so I it was actually born after one too many chaotic mornings getting ready so I remember I would always sit in front of my chest of drawers which has mirrors on it and I would use that as my main mirror to get ready in and the lighting would be really crappy because it's on the other side of the room. And whilst I was on the floor, I would remember that I wanted to use product that was in the bathroom or in my handbag. So I'd be constantly getting up and it was just a really crappy experience. Um, and I just really wanted to have a space on my own, like a, a dedicated getting ready space rather than sitting on the floor. So um, I actually had my dad help me source products for myself because once I hopped onto Pinterest, I realized that I couldn't get any of the, I couldn't find any of the products in Australia. And then after that, it was just a matter of realizing that 
I thought the beauty process was very strange in that the start and the end of it was such an uplifting and feel-good moment from the discovery and the purchasing of products to that post getting ready feeling like it's all a very high moment and then that in-between process where like what I just described it was very chaotic and stressful and very unglamorous for myself so we built a toile to kind of be, be the conduit between those two extremes um but yeah definitely by accident and the products I really just needed for myself yeah that's so true that sort of like time between getting the products and actually like getting ready like I've definitely experienced that it's like hectic trying to get all your makeup like from different places so that is just like such a good thing to build a business on um so that's amazing um I guess like you mentioned before um about like moving from investment banking and how you really enjoy doing a toile on the side um so what was it like in that transition period when you were working uh your job in investment banking but also like building up a toile as more of a side hustle I suppose um how did you balance that and how did you find that whole experience yeah so I have a really really amazing selfless mum who I don't know if I could have balanced the two um without so in those first two years again I didn't really intentionally build and work on a toile like banking just takes up so much of your time so it was really kind of around the edges when I could I'd upload something or change something on the website or really work on marketing initiatives I think I was very fortunate because we're in an industry where our customers are really active on social media so they really helped us pick up that momentum and drove that early traction so they would always tag their friends to be like need this want this look at this and I think because we only posted like vanity inspiration that was just stuff that was really really shareable um and yeah my mum was in the she was really the heartbeat of the business and she would pack all the orders she would make sure that they got dispatched in time they would she would help me receive stock when we got stock and arrange like all the delivery and all of that and um I think as time went on and it slowly picked up by itself then I would intentionally put a bit more time into working on on growing it well um but yeah I really really do have her to thanks I'm really lucky in that in, in that regard yeah for sure um and also you mentioned receiving stock and things like that how did you find your first kind of suppliers um was it a difficult process trying to find which ones to uh, get supplies from? What was that like for you? Yeah, so the very first organisers, um, so we started with four simple makeup organisers and they, well, my dad helped me source them. So he is um, back and forth between or was back and forth between um, here in China with work and when I sent him some images, I don't know if either of you um, have been to China, but there are essentially these huge malls where you can go to for, you know, electronic parts or like, you know, there'll be like seven levels of like fabrics or whatever else that you want. So it's not that hard to find stuff. Um, and even in those malls, it's not hard to find the actual manufacturer behind those products as well. So, um, yeah, dad helped me source the very first um, our very first supplier and speak to them and go to the factory um, to see if they were legitimate. Um, and then from there, our supplier base has obviously grown a lot. Um, we, I think as the business grows, 
suppliers will naturally come to you because they're looking for more customers. And, you know, if you're ranking on Google in one of the top spots for, you know, keywords that they manufacture, they will come knocking on your door. Um, we've also gone to China ourselves to go to these factories and make sure that they're all very legitimate and um, factories who uh, aligns with with our values as well. Um, but yes, yeah, finding a supplier, I don't think it's hard to find a supplier, but I definitely think it's really difficult to find a really good supplier. Yeah, definitely. That seems like a really interesting process, like that you've been really involved with, like making sure the supply chain is exactly like what you expected it. I suppose like we able to get like much better at that sort of supply chain management over time as you got a little bit more experience with like all of those different like suppliers and I guess just understanding like, yeah, how to acquire stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely been a learning process, being able to pick up the flags of when, you know, a supplier is good or when they're a bit dodgy. Um, you know, a lot of factories or or suppliers in China are actually agents and they don't actually have a factory behind them. They're just the middle person and take your order and, you know, pass it on to a number of factories that they're associated with. Um, and as a brand, we have really built a reputation on really premium, high quality goods. So the supply chain and our supplier partnerships is something that I have really honed in on and made sure that we are able to find um, the best manufacturer for these products. Yeah, like I said, really difficult to find a good supplier. But over time, I think you start to pick up on, you know, if if you're constantly chasing down the supplier, that's probably not a good sign. They should really be the ones who are constantly communicating with you and you should never really have to chase them. Um, and then, yeah, I, I always recommend starting with a really small purchase order, seeing how that goes, and then being able to build um, your quantities with them as you build that trust as well. How would you describe the different stages that Etoile went through from its founding to now, if you could put it quantitatively into different stages, I guess. Etoile's first stage, I guess, was its infancy stage where I didn't really see a huge future for it and I wasn't, um, like I mentioned before, actively working on building the business and it was really the help of social media and our customers that helped propel a 12 forwards. And then I think that second stage was when I realised, oh, maybe this could be, maybe there is, you know, a, a bigger business than I thought here. And then I would actively work on SKU expansion and, um, marketing and, and and content creation and really try and build it to um, become this bigger thing. And essentially I had a financial goal in place that if it hit, um, I think it was 20,000 a month in sales that I would leave City and then it got there without much marketing at all. We didn't do any paid advertising, no Facebook ads or influencers, and then I guess there's that third stage, which is post me living city and um, everything kind of kicked off from there. Um, you know, we did a huge brand refresh. We start, we switched on paid marketing. We used influencers. It, we really kind of got the momentum going. Um, and it's, it's really been like that for, I guess, the last three years. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like the, yeah, the like transition and like the evolution of a brand to something that's just like 
grew super fast and has been like refreshed and refined and looks absolutely amazing. It's just just a really awesome like process. Was there anything that was part of that process that was quite unexpected for you? Um, I guess the unexpected would be having to grow personally faster than 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 the business. So, you know, your business constantly cha- faces challenges and things that you don't expect, whether it be, um, you know, supplier issues or um, I don't know. There's so many things that could that that can go wrong in a day that do go wrong, and I think you have to be in a mindset that is ready to face and attack all those issues. Um, one thing also that I never thought or um, I guess, yeah, I never thought I would be in the position of is managing a team. And I don't think I am like a, a natural born leader. Um, I think I'm, I'm riddled with a lot of self-doubt at times. And so managing a team and having to consciously be a good manager, a good leader, making sure that they are, um, you know, they feel motivated, they feel secure in their role is something that I have to actively work on. So I've been reading a lot of leadership books, watching a lot of YouTube videos about how to cultivate the right culture or, you know, things that you don't want to be doing. Um, yeah, that's that's probably been the most unexpected thing. And obviously as the business grows, which you want it to, the team that you manage gets larger and then there's more, you know, interpersonal relationships that you have to manage as well. Yeah. For sure. And I guess speaking of the unexpected, um, I'd be curious to hear how COVID has impacted Etoile and perhaps um, what you've learned through the last year that you might consider implementing for the future as well. Yeah, so we were really, really fortunate during COVID. I think, you know, you were either in an industry that was really negatively impacted or you just really boomed. And I think a lot of e-com was in that latter category. And being in, you know, home organization and, um, yeah, sorry, being in home organization, I think we benefited from people being at home, people maybe reorganizing their rooms, ticking off that task that they've wanted to do for so long, but didn't get a chance to. So we saw a huge uptick in volume, in sales, in traffic, and really benefited from that. Um, but yeah, in that in that same breath, I guess we had to also focus on inventory management, which was one of the toughest things or continues to be like one of the toughest things to manage in the business. And because we had such fast moving stock and, you know, this would trend one week and then there was a trend towards something else, it was something that we had to keep on top of every single day. So building really robust inventory management systems um, and constantly monitoring that to be able to you know, figure out when we should purchase, make purchase orders, um, figure out what's not moving um, and perhaps just dying as a trend like and, you know, in having to find ways to move that stock um, was something that we learned during COVID. Yeah, it seems like a lot of sort of keeping up with everything and making sure you're all on top of, I guess, stock that would have been moving way faster than you would have anticipated had there not been like as many people at home and reorganizing their stuff. So like, I suppose, like coming off the backbone of COVID, it probably was a bit of a blessing in disguise in terms of like business growth and like getting the Etoile name out there. Is there like 
a next step that you have in mind for Etoile? Like, do you see it expanding more geographically, like in other regions or in other sort of projects? Yeah, it's just like, what's next for Etoile? Um, there's so much on the horizon, definitely international expansion. I feel like we've been saying every year since we launched that we're hoping to crack an international market that year, but I am hoping to crack it this year. <laughs> and then product development. Um, we are currently trying to build a product with a core audience group. And I think from our customer research, we've noticed a huge gap in this market that, you know, where their needs aren't being fulfilled. So we're currently building a product with customers, which we have never done before. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, really excited um, for the launch of that when that occurs. Perhaps what advice you have for students who are maybe looking to start their own business but have no idea where to begin? Go on TikTok. I am a huge advocate for TikTok and the business niche on TikTok is so incredible. There are so many small business owners who are documenting their day-to-day you know, in literally turning an, an idea into a, an actual business. And there's so much to learn on TikTok. It is like if you're not feeling inspired to start a business, you will after going on business TikTok. <laughs> I feel like I can 100% second that. It's so like, I don't know, I feel like it definitely came up on my For You page on like one particular week. I was just getting like people packing orders and like how they started their business from the ground up. It's so yeah, cool. yeah such a good look in and it's great that it's like so accessible because just like super accessible I'm even learning so much on TikTok um, and you get inspired to also like you know improve things about your own business I'm like oh maybe we can pack things differently or you know why don't we improve our unboxing experience by doing this and yeah it's amazing what you can learn even from businesses that have literally just started um, and are, are doing amazing things yeah, no, that is really cool. And I'm sure you could learn a lot from businesses that might have like nothing to do with what Atwal is selling, but they might be doing their marketing in a particular way. I know I've seen a lot of Totally. Yeah, like there's tons of TikToks on like content creation and doing different things in Adobe, which mm. is probably really cool to see. Um yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that piece of advice. I will happily spend some more time on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the last question that we have in the advice for students section is just basically, what would you advise students that are feeling like really inspired to pursue that non-traditional path out of uni? What would you say um, would be best for them to do um, in pursuing that non-traditional path? Just take it. Just don't. <laughs> I like, I think I come across a lot of students who want to take the non-traditional path, but are afraid to. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, are compelled to follow what everyone else is doing. And I totally get that. Like I have really conservative parents who wanted me just to land a very secure role. Um, and I think there are a lot of benefits to to that, you know, whether it's banking or big four or law or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, one of my biggest regrets from uni is not going into that non-traditional route, perhaps, you know, getting a job in a high growth startup or, um, you know, a tech firm and learning how younger businesses do it. Because I think I got the, I got an experience where I got to see how big corporates do it. Um, I think I might be going off topic here, not really answering your question. (laughs) Um, But for students who, want to take a non-traditional path I mean do it there's 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 you've got nothing to lose 
Um, I'm all about following what you were passionate about. So yeah, whatever that may be. So now we've come to the final part of our show where we ask our guests what recommendations they have for our listeners. I would really recommend watching Ben Francis on YouTube. He is the founder of Gymshark. He documents um, and vlogs the process of growing his business, which is obviously humongous now. Um, And he is very insightful, gives out a lot of value. So definitely watching his YouTube. Um, TikTok for, for, like I mentioned before, um, and I would also recommend the podcast How I Built This by Guy Raz, who interviews um, really successful businesses that are that are typically like f- five to ten years or even older. Um, and then for your more early stage companies, I love the podcast Female Startup Club. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, um, for taking the time to film this podcast with us. And we thoroughly enjoyed having the chance to chat with you today. It is an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. This really takes me back to my uni days. I love it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Bo Talks. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Banking on Women. Thank you, everyone. Bye.